Hey, this is Cody Balfour. This is the podcast called That I May See, Seeing Wonderful Things uh, in, in the Word of God. And I just want to introduce you briefly to a new series we're doing. It's through the Psalms. It's the next you know book or, or series of writings that we're going through in the podcast. And um, I just want to let you know how rich this teaching is that you're about to receive, primarily from from Miriam. Uh, Miriam has taught through the Psalms, written on the Psalms, and studied them extensively. And the way we're going to break down each episode is there's going to be three episodes, okay? The first episode will cover the book one of the Psalms, right? So the Psalms are divided up in five books. And the second episode will will cover books two and three. So cover those sections. And then the third episode, part three, will cover books four and five. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Psalms, one of the ways that I would love to introduce you to them is that the Psalms are the songbook and the prayer book of Israel. and, And they cover a wide range of emotions. And, and this is something that we need, especially in a pandemic where we feel confusion, we feel sadness. We may even have little glimpses of joy and hope. Um, but God takes all of our emotions seriously. And, and one of the things you'll learn throughout the Psalms as we talk about it is you'll learn that a, our God is a God who listens. He's not just a God who speaks, but he's a God who listens. And so... Yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Praying blessings on your life. What's up? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? I can. I don't know why, but your avatar on on the recording says Bob. <laughs> I just put that in. I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> I was like, who am I talking to? <laughs> That is hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah, oh, no, man. funny story along that that line. So last night, Nate forgot his phone when he went to work at the emergency room. So he called me from like, he called me and left a voicemail and was like, hey, here's the ER's phone number. Like, call me at this number if you need me. Mm-hmm. So I call and like, get the answer like, hi, this is the Hillcrest emergency room. You're talking to Nate. And I was like, hi, Nate, I'm calling for Tom. Could you get here for me? <laughs> and he's like, okay, just a second. He's with a patient right now. And I'm like, wait, what? Because I just said this is a joke. And then Nate's like, wait a second, is this Miriam? <laughs> yes. He's like, my partner's name tonight is Tom. <laughs> we were about to go get this random nurse. I'm like, no, no, no. Just said Tom is a joke. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's that's because you're that's because you're a prophet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, in um in in our episode for uh their newest episode for that I may see, um Miriam and I, uh, if you're listening, we're going to do a uh, about a three part series on the Psalms. Ooh. And um so in the episode one of this or the first episode of the Psalms. We're going to do, we're going to tackle book one, a few different Psalms in there. And then in the second episode, we're going to tackle uh, book two and three. And then in the third installment of our series in the Psalms, we're going to do book four and five. So that's kind of what you can expect from our episode uh, series. And Miriam, will you kind of give us the context? Like, like if someone's listening, they're like, okay, I don't really know what the purpose of the Psalms are in the Bible. Hmm. How would you answer that question? 
Ah, oh, that's such a great question. So I like to think about the Psalms and remember um, that they are an anthology. So mm, an anthology up? is when you have a collection of individual works, but the collection is intentionally put together. So mm. some of you might remember like in high school English or something, you'd get assigned a short story that was out of an anthology. And an anthology is just a collection of works and the way that poems or stories, or in this case, psalms, are put together in, anthology, in an anthology is important. It's intentional. So oftentimes you'll find as you're reading the psalms, a lot of times we tend to read them by doing um, like a psalm a day or something. And that's mm -hmm. fine. But it's good sometimes to read larger chunks of the psalms because mm. a lot of times a question will get raised in one psalm and then actually get answered in the next psalm. Or one psalm will kind of show you wow. of an issue. And then the psalm right after that will be placed there by the editors because they're going, hey, you're probably wondering this or thinking this. So let's address mm. that by the next psalm that we put into the collection. So mm. I think it's helpful to kind of understand that. And in any collection, your opening psalm um, or your opening work in the anthology and your closing work are going to be particularly important. And they're going to kind of help you understand what what you're supposed to be paying attention to or picking up on or what kind of headspace you should be in as you start to read the read this collection of works. And so that's what Psalm one does. Um, I'll talk about it more in just a second um, and kind of lay lay that out as an introduction to the whole rest of the Psalms. But I want to talk a little bit, and maybe you can chime in here too, but about mm -hmm. how the this book of Psalms has been historically used by the people of God. And so I think you see multiple levels of ways in which these Psalms function. First, they are the, act the actual work of writing them, writing them as prayers, writing them as songs, in mm -hmm. the way that God's people bear witness to what's happening in the world around them and try to talk to a real God about their real lives. Mm. And so they are a kind of putting into words, a processing, a space where we can look at the world around us. We can look into our own hearts and we see the psalmist wrestling that out in a form of art, in the form of poetry. Yeah, And so that's really important to take note of. Yeah, no, what that's happened? so good. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that was like the best, most concise explanation of the Psalms I think I've ever heard. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Um, that was awesome. And I, I totally agree. And, and a lot of theologians would say the same thing. And um, one of the things, I just want to touch on this for like the next 15 seconds, but like one of the things the Psalms do that I think is so important is the Psalms cover every like the widest range of emotions that human beings experience. Mm, absolutely. Right. And that's so important because I think Western Christianity is, is a very dry stoic version of Christianity mm. in some ways, or at least in some expressions, obviously not all expressions are that way, but um, you know, our version of Christianity in America is probably the least emotional, mm. maybe than any other hemisphere where God is working in the world right now. Wow. And I think part of that is because of the enlightenment and the way that we've been taught to, you know, that knowledge is better than emotion and, mm. you know, just kind of stuff your emotions down and don't let them come up. And the Bible right. is just like 
saying the opposite of that. The Bible is saying, hey, yeah, don't let your emotions control you, but don't don't stuff them down because they're going to come up eventually. Yeah. And they're going to explode. Right. And um, the, I just love the Psalms because they whatever you are feeling, there is like God is dealing with that. Like God right. is not silent. Right. Well, I remember a professor telling me this once years ago, and it stuck with me so much since then. He said um, something along this lines. He said that, okay, so not only does God do the Psalms tell us like God cares about your emotions and he wants to know what you have to say. They say that God cares so much about you talking to him that God actually gives you a script. So that if mm. you're in the worst moment of your life and you don't even know how to pray about the worst moment of your life, mm. God puts a psalm in front of you that says, I so want you to talk to me and even to say, I'm angry, I'm confused, I don't get it. That not only am I giving you permission to do that, I'm giving you the words themselves. So wow. in those moments of just total darkness, total confusion, total despair, you can be confident that God wants you to speak, wants you to speak to him about that. So confident Amen. that he has like written out, here's what you could say. Um, and I was yeah. thinking earlier, you see this role of like the Psalms for the individual psalmist. But what's important about this as well is that this was the songbook of Israel. This mm, is the right. book of common prayer for the people of God. And so what happens is these individual experiences are meant to be shared with God together. And That's there right. is something about the prayers and poems that are written and laid out in the Psalms that we can only fully, um, fully comprehend and fully experience the power of when we use the Psalms as a collective people. And this is why that I think it's so important for churches to be thinking about how they can say the Psalms together, because there's things that there's a power to speaking together to God about what's going on in our lives. And the Psalms invite Amen. us into that. And they also say that sometimes prose or preaching or narrative is not the way to best capture our spiritual lives. But there's mm. something about our life together with God that can be best understood and expressed and experienced through poetry. So mm. I, that's a really important part of it too. And so one of the, one additional thing I wanted to say about the Psalms uh, right before you head into Psalm chapter one, uh, Miriam, is that, you know, the Psalms are particularly something we need right now during a pandemic. Because mm. I think it's safe to say that, like, the pandemic has caused us to um, feel every emotion we've probably ever felt. Mm. You know, sadness, despair, fear, um, maybe even joy at some moments. Obviously, we're not joyful because of the pandemic, but in God's providence, some things we're, we're able to spend more time with people, you know, with our family and, and, and all different kinds of ways, but they're, they're just, we need the Psalms now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think we need them now more than ever uh, in, in some ways. And I think it's just such a gift from the Lord to give us this book that just experiences every range of human emotion. And, and like you said, mm. gives, gives us the tools and the script to 
uh, talk about these things, but um, yeah, yeah, go go ahead and take us away. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's so interesting that the Psalms open with what what a lot of people call kind of like a wisdom psalm. This mm-hmm. idea of blessed or how happy is the one. So it's like, what does it look like to flourish? Right. Um, that's really the question. Is like how the Psalms are all about like how do I flourish in a fallen world? Um, and I think that it's really interesting. A few of the things that are kind of hit on in this Psalm by way of introduction is that it talks about how you're blessed. If you don't walk in the advice of the wicked or mm-hmm. stand at the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of the mockers. Mm. And instead you delight in like God's instruction, meditating in God's instruction. And really what mm-hmm. it's saying is that our listening shapes our living, our conversations, like, who we talk to, who we listen to, who we are with form mm. us as people. That's and right. The Psalms are saying, instead of being formed by listening to the wisdom of this world, by conversations with the ungodly, being formed instead by listening to God, speaking to God, being planted in God, and mm-hmm. that that's what we allow to form ourselves. And this idea here of this image, and it opens with this image, which this is what poetry gives us. Poetry mm-hmm. says, let me give you an image that can maybe stick with you and kind of root its way into your heart in a way that just a, a description or a line of prose cannot. Mm. So the image that poetry brings us here is of a tree that has been planted or transplanted from a place where maybe it wasn't flourishing. And now it's been planted besides flowing stream. So it's planted in a place where Mm -hmm. it can flourish, which means that the tree has not just sprung up here. The tree has been put by the water. And so I think that speaks to something that the Psalms are going to always emphasize, which is that the first word is always grace. Like the, the blessing it, that we experience doesn't come first from how we structure our lives, mm-hmm. but from how God, where God situates us and the work mm. that God has already begun for us. So the tree is planted and wow. they plant themselves. Right. So That's this right. is an image that mm. begins with grace and, um, and then it ends with bearing fruit. And I love to think about this image of like, like an apple tree or a fig tree or an olive tree. The f- what is the fruit for? The fruit is for others. Like mm. people walk by and they grab for the community benefit. Yes. And so our, the blessing that we, the blessed life begins with grace and extends itself out in fl- uh, contributing to the flourishing of others. Mm. And so, I think that a lot of times when we think of the blessed life as Americans, we think about um, flourishing that we achieve by ourselves and for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the Bible's definition of flourishing is not something that you achieve by yourself or for yourself. The Bible's definition of flourishing is flourishing that comes to you by grace. Mm -hmm. And that is you flourish for the good of others. Wow. Psalms kind of like sets that up right as we dive into it. Amen. Yeah. And, and I love um, that was such a beautiful explanation. And I love towards, you know, in verse four and five. And, and, and this is just something I think um, we just need to keep on hearing is that like the, he says the wicked are not like this. Instead, mm. they are like the, yeah. the chaff that the wind blows away. Mm-hmm. And um, this is so important for those of us. 
And you'll see this theme pop up in the Psalms over and over and over again. But for those of us who, who keep on seeing the wicked prosper, right. who, keep, who keep on seeing the veneer of the wicked of, of like, oh, life is good, but it's really not mm-hmm. underneath. And the Bible is going to keep on saying that over and over again. It's like, hey, you know what? The wicked don't have it as good as you think they do. Right. Like right. I see this all the time when it comes to certain uh, people like on Instagram, right? Mm. Um, you'll, you might see someone who, you know, <laughs> like a celebrity or something that you're not fond of because the way <laughs> they treat people. And then, you know, you'll see them, you know, you might see them popping bottles and champagne in the club <laughs> and all things like that. And then one of the things I noticed too is like six months later, you'll, you'll see a tragedy happen to them. Right. Not happen to them, but you, uh, uh, maybe right. tragedy is not the good word, but you will see their lives fall apart. Right. And, and we don't want that. I don't wish that upon anyone. But one, I think right. one of the things that even like sometimes social media cannot hide is that the wicked do not have it as good as you think they do. Right. right. And that it really is better to live righteously to live and 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 part of living righteously is living the way god made you like this is actually how god made you it's actually who you really are that's right like this is when you're the most human when when you experience Mm, the most humanness and your body like literally neuro i was talking to miriam earlier about this with the neuroscience like neuroscience is still is now affirming that like our body responds best to like kindness righteousness like Mm. honesty truth integrity that like people flourish when these things are practiced and this is what psalm one is saying wow you know (laughs) that's so good um let's let's go ahead and go over to psalm 27 or psalm 23 oh yeah okay so i i want to I want to talk about this psalm for just a second because i think that when we think about what do we see of god's like when we think about the Psalms, like people often go to this Psalm. This is the one that most people have heard or know, right. even if they don't think of themselves as being super religious. And it's, it's really interesting to kind of, to, to think about this Psalm and what is it that sort of draws us in? Um, because there's so much here. And I, I think it really follows, um, it kind of follows the Psalmist over the course of a lifetime. Mm. So that over the course of a lifetime, he has what he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, says, I have what I need. Um, and I love, um, I love that trans translation uh, that the CSB uses. Like the familiar one is Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. Right. But, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Mm. The Bible's vision of flourishing is not excess, but it is having what you wow. And Ooh. He, he traces this through like, okay, like when I need to lie down, he lets me lie down. He leads me besides quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths. And then I think it's really interesting that he says, even when I go through the darkest valley, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, and then we'll notice here, and this is something you want to pay attention to in the Psalms is the pronouns. The pronouns shift from being third person talking about God as he Mm-hmm. To being second person talking about God as you. Wow. And so the Psalms yeah. invite us into this more personal. And I think that's a, something a lot of people love about Psalm 23 that they probably don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And that Psalm 23 talk to, takes you from just talking about God mm-hmm. to this moment of God being right there with you mm. and in the worst moment of your life. 
right? In the yeah. darkest place that God is not just a he, but God is you. The one who is you are right here so close that I don't want to talk about you in third person anymore because you're mm. right here. And I think that this is um, this idea of the valley of shadow of death or the valley of the deepest darkness is basically a description of this place of sort of ultimate vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that in places of vulnerability, we are open to receiving the care of God in ways that we just can't when we're not as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think about this like with my kids. You know, they're starting to get older, kind of hitting that preteen, teen years. <laughs> and when they get hurt or when they're scared, when they hit those moments of vulnerability, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's an openness to care from mom and dad that's not there the rest of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your teens aren't normally coming to you and kind of like wanting a wanting a hug, wanting to be held, wanting to be babied, you know? Right. But if they get really sick or something scares them, all of a sudden there's that opening, that moment of vulnerability where you can meet them with a special kind of care. And I think that's what God does for us. Like he meets us with special care when we are most vulnerable. And that is so different than the world because what the world does is that when we are most vulnerable, we are exploited, right? That's right. And God meets our vulnerability with special care and kindness and Mm. presence. And you've been talking about this, but I think Psalm 23 is such a great illustration of this, of what is the um, antidote, as it were, to fear? It's the proximity to God. And that's exactly what's laid out here. I fear no danger. Why? Because you are with me. You are close. That's right. And that's, that is the, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really latch onto this or even like, pick this up until like probably the last year of my life. Hmm. But like that theme is like me is one of the most constant themes in scripture hmm. is God is with you. You know, he goes to Joshua, he says, be, be courageous. I'm with you. He goes to Israel. He says, fear not. I'm with you. He goes to Abraham and says like, Hey, you're going to go into a new land a place. You don't know. I am mm-hmm. with you. And that, and, and we'll explore that more as we talk about scripture in our podcast. But like that is the antidote to fear. Mm. It is it is realizing and it's more complicated than that. But it is that it's like it's it's realizing God is with you. And when he's with you, you're provided for, you're comforted, hmm. you're secure, you're safe. I mean, my Lord, how, how many of us, especially in a time for COVID, we just want to be safe. Like just right. the bare minimum. Right. God provides that. Yeah. And and we're going to see that even more so. We're going to do one more psalm, but we see Real this quick in before you go to the next psalm, let me yeah, add it. Absolutely. So building on what you said, how does God care for us in the darkness? God actually prepares a meal for us, right? Mm. In the presence of enemies. And that's not something you normally do, right? You think about you think about these scenes, um, you know, if you, you watch superhero movies or movies mm-hmm. where people are in the presence of enemies, they're not like, you know, it'd be great right now, like a picnic. Right. <laughs> um, you know, like I think about that funny scene in uh, Lord of the Rings where the hobbits are, uh, you know, journeying with the fellowship and they're like, does he know about second breakfast? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's like, right. And, and I think one of them says like, I don't think he knows about that because yeah. you don't have second breakfast when you're in the presence of enemies. Right. That's right. Um, and yet this is what God does. He gives us. So this feast that God sets, it's alluding to the feast that we're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb, the feast that's described in Isaiah 25, right? Where there's going to be enough and like just generosity overflowing to all of God's people. And what God does here, and I I love this image. So think about 
um, when I was away at college, my mom would send us these little care packages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or she, I've got a sister in college right now and my mom will, will send her little things like a, just a little, a little something from home to kind of tide her over until she gets here. And it's not the same as being home, but it's this reminder of like the welcome and the hospitality that is waiting for you at home. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, Psalm 23 is talking about that this is what God does. God will always give you enough of home to keep you going until you get there. Mm. And when we host other people, we get to share in that picture too and say like, hey, like home is real and we will be there soon. And here's a little piece of it. And I think that's why hospitality is a requirement for elders because Mm -hmm. you can't be anything like God if you don't set up little pieces of home for people now. Hmm. because if you really understand what's coming, you're always looking for how can we bring home here? That's right. Little pieces of home and what's coming um, in the future. So that's, that's something I just love about, about that Psalm. And, and it wraps up by just saying like God's goodness and love are going to pursue us. And I I remember hearing John Perkins talk about this Psalm once, and it just, I've thought about it so much since then. Hmm. Here's how he described the ending of Psalm 23. He said, God's goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. And one day they will catch up to me and carry me home. And he said, as he's nearing the end of his life and thinking a lot about death, he just keeps meditating on Psalm 23 and how death is being caught up, having the love and goodness of God that has chased you your whole life, finally catch up to you. Isn't that a beautiful Mm. image? Amen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and uh, as we come to Psalm 27, we'll end with this one. This is one of my favorite Psalms. um, Because as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about the most when it comes to the Lord is just like him being with his people Mm -hmm. and uh, and how that is like kind of the antidote to what driving out fear looks like. And in Mm -hmm. Psalm 27, David talks about fear. You know, he says, the Lord is my light. And my salvation, who should I fear? The long, mm-hmm. Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Hmm. Right? And so he's using, he, you know, one thing that I love like, about the Psalms is they use this imagery. You know, the Psalms, I think the reason Westerners have a problem with the Psalms sometimes is because we're so literalistic. Mm-hmm. When this is, is poetry. This is like Hebrew, right. ancient Middle Eastern Hebrew poetry. And so he uses light. He uses stronghold and light is obviously meant to show the way, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes we forget how important light is because we live in a world where everywhere we go, there's some kind of lighting for the most part. Right. Right. You right. walk down the street and there are street lights. Hmm. Um, even, even if you drive by a store that is closed, right. There's probably still lights on in there. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and what, but in the ancient world, it wasn't that way. Like, if, if you went outside your home, you're walking into pitch darkness. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that was scary. Hmm. And so like what David is saying is like, God, you are the way for me, even when it's dark and I'm confused and when I'm scared. Right. And then he, says you're, he says, you're my stronghold, right? A stronghold was often some sort of uh, building or tower or even a gate that mm-hmm. was meant to with, you know, kind of fend off uh, enemies, Right. right. And and I love how David, David doesn't say I'm a stronghold. Hmm. Right. 
He says, Lord, you are my stronghold. You are the thing mm-hmm. that is immovable. You cannot be moved. Mm-hmm. And this is so important for people who uh, are very fearful. Maybe you struggle right. with anxiety. Uh, and, you know, that leads into something that I wanted to share in in the ways as we read the Psalms. So mm-hmm. we have to think about when we read a piece of poetry or mm-hmm. any piece of literature, where was the person who was writing it? Where were they standing? Right. Like, what was their context? And right. what we find is that the Psalms are almost exclusively, um, there's a few exceptions, but even even more generally, because they're written by the Israelites and then diving into the individuals who wrote them, they're mm-hmm. written from places of oppression. They're written by the oppressed. Mm, that's so right. When you want to understand what the Psalms are saying, the closer you can get to that vantage point of the oppressed, the yep. more clearly you're going to be able to read the Psalm and understand what it's trying to say. That's right. And it's not to say that the Psalms have nothing for someone who's not coming from a point of oppression, right. but it's just to say that you see most clearly what they were trying to say when you get down and understand that this is someone who's oppressed writing about enemies yeah. and they're talking to God as the king, the creator, and the judge. And he is the one with power and they need him to use that power to intervene because they are experiencing real anxiety and fear that is brought about by real literal danger. Right. And I think there's so much to be drawn from the Psalms for those of us who are, um, you know, wrestling with say anxiety. But the psalmist is when they say, whom should I fear? They're not just talking about like, okay, I don't need to be anxious about my taxes. (laughs) They're talking about like people who literally don't know if they're going to be okay tonight or if the enemies are going to come and actually kill them. That's right. It says that that right there in in the psalms. Talk about foes and enemies. And um, I think – the oppressed are always worrying about that. Yeah. You know, and it may not look like armies coming against them or someone right. great, but it's like, it may look like, you know, uh, my father a, and mother abandoned me or yeah. Or my father, yeah. mother abused me or my apartment isn't safe. People are always breaking in. Right. Um, or my neighborhood might be gentrified and I might be displaced from the community I grew up in. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So like There's all kinds of ways it can look, but we've got to recognize, you know, right. like, how do we get down and read this psalm alongside the oppressed um, yeah. or in the places in our life where we're experiencing oppression, get down and like realize like that place of vulnerability is where the psalms are written from. And that's such a, such a beautiful that's thing. Right. I love that you were bringing that out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think one thing that is just, I mean, there's so much in this psalm that we could, we could dive into, but just one thing that I think is, is so beautiful is that the way it ends is I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Mm-hmm. And that is an incredible hope for someone who is experiencing oppression or That's suffering right. that the hope that the psalmist is wrestling with here is not just that God will one day make all things right, but there is some way in which that final redemption is going to break through even now so that here 
today in this broken world, I will su- catch some glimpse mm-hmm. of God's goodness. And Absolutely. It's not just waiting for me after death, but it's, it's going to break through even now. And, and that's so important. I don't want to end it on this, but that's so important because, uh, you know, in the West, and I know we, we talk about Western culture a lot, we kind of critique it, but the, and the West has constructed a gospel that doesn't need to have the Lord's goodness in the land of the living for the oppressed. Mm. Right. It's like, yeah, just get them saved. And, you know, they may be in poverty. They are, or they may be incarcerated for the rest of their lives, but at least they'll go to heaven. Mm. And, and the Bible teaches against us. Like, no, like God did not save you just to play the waiting game until you get to heaven. Like mm. God comes in relationship with his people at, to be in some circumstances, an immediate relief. You know, uh, relieving pain, relieving oppression, relieving anxiety right here in the moment. It doesn't always work out Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. But he's like, I will see in the land while I'm living. Right. I will see it. And this is especially important for those who are disenfranchised to know that, you know what, like your immediate situation right now is really bad. But. Mm -hmm. Hold on to this truth that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. And it's interesting. Uh, you, you know, you and I have worked pretty extensively with uh, homeless population, those who are in mm-hmm. poverty. Um, and uh, I know you've noticed this, too. One thing I've noticed is I rarely hear people on the bottom trash talking God. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you noticed that? Like, at least compared to those who are kind of well off. It's like a lot of the people at the bottom that that I've met, they may not be going to church every day. They may not even be Christians, but like, but they believe God is just hmm. and they believe God is good. Even and, and it's like they believe that in situations where like that would turn us into atheists, hmm. you know, wow. like yeah, we experience so so what they, and so uh, I, whoever's listening, I, I hope you realize like the closer you become in proximity to oppress people groups hmm. and even your own oppression or suffering, right. you will come closer to God because that's where God is. Hmm. I love he is low I to the ground. So yes. And that, okay. Not to jump ahead, but <laughs> <laughs> I got to quote this Psalm. Um, oh gosh. Which Psalm is it? Let me find it. Come on, <laughs> bring it to us. I love it. It's, it's, I think it, let's see, Psalm 138. Let me, let me flip to it. And maybe this is one you were going to talk about later. Um, but is it Psalm 138? Um, uh, verse six. Okay. Yeah. Psalm 138 verse six. Though Yahweh is exalted, he takes note of the humble. Mm-hmm. Or another Though God is high, he regards the lowly. That's right. And, I, and I'm Great glad. Is the glory of the Lord, right? Like that is God's glory. This is what sets God apart. What makes God great is that God is high, but mm. he pays attention. He's near to, he's close to, he regards the lowly. That's right. And you see that, you even see that in Isaiah where it says, it, it just kind of describes the like attributes yes. and characters of God. It says God is high and exalted. It kind of says the, the similar thing, and it says, but his home, his abode is among the lowly and those close to the earth. Hmm. And uh, there's, just, there's just something about God's proximity towards the bottom 
that that especially us Westerners really need to grab onto. But um, so good. But that's all we have for for this episode. Um, For our next episode, we're going to be in books uh, two and three, and then in our third installment, we'll be in books four and five. So thank you for listening and take care. All right. Thank you.